welcome to another amazing episode of Kraken One Open. I'm setting amazing? high standards. You're setting I'm very setting, high. I'm setting the standards. bar high. I hope very. we can live up to it. Well, you're the professor, as I have just self-appointed <laughs> you. So it all it all kind of rests on your shoulders. That's a lot of pressure. Anyway, I'm Mike, and with me as always is Professor Elise. <laughs> uh, not gonna lie, I don't hate that title. <laughs> so what's today's lesson, Teach? This week we are cracking open a cold one, baby. No, but really, that's the name of the beer. It's cold, but it's it's cold with a K. Cause like, like, cause like a Kolsch Kolsch is, get it? is get spelled it? with a K and we're doing a Kolsch beer? Uh, oh man. <laughs> You got it. I'm proud of you. Anyway, cold one is from Millhouse Brewing Co., which is located in Poughkeepsie, New York. Can you add a Millhouse sound effect right there? Like what? I don't know. Oh, if we like it, can you add an everything's coming up Millhouse? Ooh. All right. Everything's coming up Millhouse. But there's a lot of Millhouse sound we'll quotes see what you I can, can do. use. <laughs> but this is Mill Space House. Yes. <laughs> That's like a farm. Yeah, so I know you were drawn to this brewery because of the name mm-hmm. and your love of the Simpsons. And I think you mentioned you had another one of their beers at some point in a restaurant. When we, we got this, what. I could swear, and I honestly don't remember at this point what it was, but that one of our local restaurants here had mm-hmm. it on draft. And yeah. I remember that because I remember buying the beer originally on draft specifically because, because it was of the called name. Millhouse. Yeah, I remember it. I just don't remember what beer it was. Me neither. So this is a new experience. I don't think it was this Kolsch with a K, but maybe. Or it could have been. Cold one with a K. Maybe. Who knows? Uh, all right. So let me go some of the actual history here. Ooh. Uh, is Bart's best friend. He lives in Springfield, <laughs> state unknown. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry, I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so the brewmasters for Millhouse, Jamie and Larry, are friends that go all the way back to fifth grade. Aw. Hmm. And their passion for craft beer started when one of their wives got them a home brew kit a long time ago. Ooh. Sound familiar? <laughs> uh, so in the first three years that Millhouse Brewing Co. was open, they brewed over 35 distinct beers and they claim they never dumped an ounce of it. Um, one of the brewmasters, Jamie, said, quote, if we start a fire... We let it burn. <laughs> Hopefully we end up with something brilliant, which made me curious, like on average, how much beer gets dumped out because something went wrong or it's just not like turning out according to plan. In a brewery? I don't yeah. know. I mean, we know of one flavor that was almost that dumped was out almost dumped because uh, they didn't think it was going to sell. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm sure that actually happens more often than you think. Yeah. Or maybe they just give it to their staff. That's true. Yeah, because like, hey, the guys, staff would still appreciate okay, it. But, yeah. you know, after your shift, if you guys want to fill up some growlers, we'll dump whatever's not left at the end of the month and redo it. But yeah, that makes sense. Who knows? I don't um, own a brewery. Yeah. I just got the one Mr. Yeah. Beer Barrel. We got ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so. Got money? <laughs> Send it our way. <laughs> so since 2013, uh, brewmasters Jamie and Larry have, quote, led Millhouse to become a major player in the explosive craft beer scene coming out of the Hudson Valley, striving for a perfect balance of art and science. And in 2016, they expanded and relocated just down the road to an almost 8,000 square, fa- square foot facility in order to accommodate a 20 BBL system, which just refers to the amount of barrels of beer they can brew at one time. 20 BBLs! 
And it's a lot of beer. One barrel alone is 31 gallons. So we're, of, we're talking thousands of like servings. That's a lot of that's a lot of gallons. Yeah. So Millhouse Brewing Co. has some pretty interesting and unique offerings, uh, quite a few of which have won some some pretty prestigious awards. Some of their year-round beers include a cucumber cream ale, a scotch ale. Hey, I do like scotch ales. <laughs> you do. <laughs> uh, an American stout. But the one we're going to be talking about today is Cold One, their seasonal Kolsch, which is also award-winning. It took home the bronze medal at the Tap New York Craft Beer Fest in 2016, but I'm not sure if it was part of a specific category or if it was just like overall. Wait, we're taking home a third place. We, we're drinking a third place. But Tap New York is <sighs> the kidding. largest craft beer festival in the state in the number of brewers oh, attending. I, I guess that makes it better. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's still pretty impressive. Um, so cold one is a German Kolsch style ale clocking in at 4.6 ABV with an IBU rating of 19 and an SRM rating of 3.5. So yeah, thank SRM you. ratings. Yeah, thank you for being uh, hopefully one of the slowly growing number of breweries that provides that information to the consumer. So that I don't have to shine a flashlight through the beer and do math. <laughs> <laughs> or however you do it. <laughs> That's kind of what it seemed like. No, I don't know. I'm not gonna not gonna claim that much. I hope there's like an abacus involved and like some old uh, tools from like the 40s that are like half wood and crystals. Just like crazy, crazy stuff. A prism. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like a prism on two like wood, <laughs> old stained wood poles. <laughs> so the average Kolsch is between 18 and uh, 25 IBU. So cold one lands right on the lighter end of that at 19. And combined with an SRM rating of 3.5, which is just slightly lower than average, um, with the average being between four and seven, that means that we can expect a low perceived bitterness um, and a pretty solid, fairly light golden color. Somewhere right in between like a blonde ale or a Hefeweizen on one end and then like a pale English pale ale on the other end color wise. Getting a vision. Millhouse lists the hops as Tetnang and Haller Tower and the malts are German Pilsner and Vienna. Mm. Um, so Tetnang and Haller Tower should both sound familiar because they are both traditional noble hops, which we've gone over a few times before. Tetnang hops are probably the most widely used noble hop worldwide. Um, an article from 2016 said that at that point in time, there were 135 hop farms operating in Tetnang, Germany, creating large enough uh, hop swaths that they were visible from space. Germans do love their beer. <laughs> and the hops produced in Tetnang make up 5% of Germany's total hop yield. And of that 5%, 80 to 85% of that would be exported while the rest would be used for German beer. So they export a lot. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so that being said, this variety of hop is also grown in Switzerland, United States, and Australia. So it can be a little confusing as to where you're getting your hops from. But a good indicator is that the suffix ER is often added to signify a product of a, the given region. So if the hop it was labeled Tetnanger, then it would be from Tetnang and not from Switzerland or Australia. 
Um, Interesting. Yeah. So if that holds true, then that means that uh, the hops that Millhouse used for this brew were not actually grown in Tetanang. That way, like it's Berliner wise and stuff like that. Like they add the. Oh, maybe. But Berliner is not a hop. That's the name of a style. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm just wondering because they put a lot of ERs on the end of some of their. I don't really know German. Yeah. I just know what I know from World War II movies when people shout. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you say in German sounds angry. Reichert. <laughs> That's you. It's me. Um, so these hops are very versatile. You'll find Tetnang in Belgian and French ales, blonde ales, red ales, amber ales, box, lagers, pilsners, and wheat beers. Slow down. Can you say that again? I'm I'm still taking notes. I'm still in the first two. Yeah. <laughs> still on red ale. <laughs> Don't change the PowerPoint slide. Um, so Tetnang has a balanced floral and herbal aroma, but also a slightly spicy character. And it is dual dual purpose. Um, it can be used for both bittering and aroma. Haller Tower, uh, aka Haller Tower Mittelfra. Mittelfra. It's just fun to say. Um is very similar characteristically to Tetnang with that really lightly floral undertone and spicy flavor and aroma. However, they are very delicate and susceptible to crop diseases, so it's a little bit more difficult to work with. Um, but it is still considered the king of German hop varieties and the quintessential noble hop. Hmm. So since we've never covered a Kolsch before, I wanted to dig into that style a little bit. Uh, because it's not something that we see a lot here in the Northeast. Um, it definitely wasn't, but I've seen more and We're more start more to pop now. up. I yeah. think because they're usually so refreshing. Yes. But continue. Yes, let's go into Kolsch. <laughs> so a Kolsch is warm fermented with top fermenting yeast, much like much like your typical ale or IPA. And then it is conditioned at a cold temperature like a lager. So it's kind of a hybrid. If you can't choose between an ale and a lager, go with a Kolsch. They tend to be light and drinkable with a muted fruitiness and a crisp, clean finish. And the Kolsch style of beer originated in Cologne, Germany, and it has a pretty strict definition. It is a pale, highly attenuated, hoppy, bright, that is filtered and not cloudy, mm -hmm. top fermenting beer, and it must be brewed according to the Reinheitsgebot, which I believe, I think I've mentioned before. I remember reading about it. I think we've talked about it before. If they don't follow those instructions completely, uh, will the punishments be severe? No, it just won't be a Kolsch. <laughs> what would it be then? A Kolsch style. Oh. So going back, the... Uh, Reinheitsgebot <laughs> is a series of regulations limiting the ingredients in beer in Germany um, and the states of the former Holy Roman Empire. It's basically like hops, yeast, water. Like they're very strict about that. And since 1997, the term Kolsch has had a protected geographical indication or PGI within the European Union, meaning that it must be produced within 50 kilometers of Cologne for it to be considered a true Kolsch. Everything else, like I said, including what we are drinking today, is a Kolsch style, much like how champagne is uh, only from the Champagne region of northern France and everything mm -hmm. else is technically sparkling wine. Same with tequila. 
also true. But you can't really grow the agave plants that are used in tequila anywhere else. So yeah, it can only really be from tequila. True. <laughs> but yeah, interesting. So this isn't really a Kolsch. It's a Kolsch style. It's a Kolsch style, which also allows them to do whatever the hell they want with it. Yeah, it, it allows them a little to. bit more freedom. Hmm. Wonder if we so ever like had a true I, I feel like maybe that's where why they chose to add the Vienna malts as opposed to just the German Pilsner malts. Maybe hmm. they're they're playing with the the taste a little bit. I wonder if do you think we ever had a true Kolsch before? I do not know. The only Kolsch I remember having was whatever one was on tap all summer last year at Colony Grill. That was not German. The only place we I really ever have any German beers is like on bottle at the restaurant near us, Citrus in Milford. Mm-hmm. They sometimes have some really unique European beers in bottle. Yeah. You know but, where I bet we could mm. find one whenever the next time we can go into the city is, is that beer place in Grand Central. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the name of that. Me either. Maybe yeah. it's still there. The Oyster Bar. The Oyster Bar is a restaurant. Yeah, that's where we went to have all those. Oh, you're okay. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm being confusing. There, cool beer there is a, yeah, there's that little hole in the wall beer store. But then I feel like a lot of the uh, European beers that we were first introduced to were from that oyster bar restaurant whenever we'd go into the city. And we maybe I think that's the first place I had uh, either Delirium Tremens or Le Fin du Mont. That's where my. My love of Belgian ales came from. <laughs> sure. Could be. I don't remember. All right. Let, what do you say we crack open a cold one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> you ready? Oh. <laughs> I was born ready. <laughs> I was born ready to crack one open. Ha! Ah, it's the name of the show. Ah. <laughs> Ooh. My crack was better. Shut up. This isn't a contest. <laughs> so since this is just a culture, I'm going to pour it in. Not, not much of a head to smell. Not any like fruity or hazy notes that you need to. A mild fruitiness. The color is pretty dead on from what I described according to the scales. The IBU and the SRM. Yes, yes. It looks like a 12. <laughs> it was a 12 you said, right? Huh? No. Uh, the IBU should be 19, and I think the SRM was 3.6. Sure. <laughs> you asked me. Um, nice lacy head. Holy carbonation. That's awesome. It's got a... Ooh, and a little bit of sediment. It does have an interesting smell, actually. Yeah, mild fruitiness. It's got that, Maya. It kind of has the, like I a toned like down kind of IPA fruitiness on the... On the nose there. Yeah. Well, this is the kind of fruitiness that I expect from something that's like really noble, hoppy, crisp, clean German malt. Yeah, I suppose. Very farmy. But not Cezanne. I hope not. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Whoa. That's brisk, baby. Yeah. So... Like I mentioned, I've only had one Kolsch that I can remember, but it was uh, pretty, I feel like this is a, a very different take on it. I have had quite a few Kolsches now. You have? How do you feel about this compared to all the other ones? Do you think this one is more traditional than the others? Well, considering I've apparently never had a traditional Kolsch, I don't <laughs> know now. Uh. Um, which in, I don't, like. it's super crisp. Very very clean. Goes in, goes down. 
Not much of an aftertaste. No, uh, I feel like there's a slightly like malty, bready aftertaste, but it's very, very slight. I feel like I'm not getting as much malt as I usually do on Kolsch's. Okay. Or Kolsch styles. And it's got this fruity note at the beginning that is very like sharp, mm-hmm. but it disappears immediately. So I can't really pinpoint what I'm tasting because it disappears even quicker than the taste of the beer in general, which dissipates very quickly. I will say it, it has like the start of a Saison. Like the very start, that first 0. Mm-hmm. 0.4 seconds, <laughs> I would say, of what a Saison or a farmhouse style ale would have. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's the the Haller Tower middle fra. It could be. I mean, it goes away quick enough so that I'm not, not a fan off of by it. it yeah. I'm not super put off by it. But it really is one of the only tastes that I'm I'm really getting on this. That's fair. Before it disappears in this crispness. I, I don't get as much of that weedy maltiness that I've gotten in Kolsch's before. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Kolsch's that I'm, I'm or Kolsch styles, I'm sorry. The Kolsch <laughs> styles that I'm used to are, are crisp, refreshing, cold, filtered beers that tend to accentuate that wheat malt metallicness of it. But it's so smooth mm-hmm. and and crisp that it just kind of goes down. It doesn't bother you like a Bud Light or, or anything. Yeah. But has more taste than your typical uh, lager. Yeah. Or Pilsner. Well, that yeah, that's what makes the Kolsch style so weird is it's half ale, half lager. Yeah. Essentially. It's, it's a tasty lager. Well, this is different, though, because what I'm getting is, is not really I'm not really any getting it. Yeah, I'm not really getting the ale aspect of it. It's just a, I feel like it's a more sophisticated lager. It's a lager with a little bit of a saison. Like, you know how I've been making some tiki drinks where I drop a couple of drops of Angostura on top of like the foam if it's got pineapple or, mm-hmm. or egg in it? Mm-hmm. That's what this reminds me of in terms of that noble hop saison note. Like, it's just kind of like barely there. They've put a dropper in it with this mm-hmm. note. And the rest of it is this crisp, refreshing, filtered, bubbly, made for the summertime kind of Kolsch yeah. uh, or Kolsch style. But yeah, I don't think I've ever had a Kolsch style that's been this noble happy on the on the front. Mm-hmm. But again, it's it's hard to describe it when it goes away so, so fast. fast. But you I don't just get, have to drink more. <laughs> I don't know if I get most of that. I'm gonna have to drink a little more because I don't know if I get that maltiness that you're getting at the end. Yeah, like you're getting a maltiness at the I'm, end. I'm getting more of like a slightly malty, slightly bready aftertaste. But it does it does go away fairly quickly. I just feel like the taste doesn't disappear as quickly for me as it does for you. Yeah. So even when I'm like really honing on and now that the beer is warming up a little bit, which we should mention before I even go over the can notes, it does say you should serve at 45 to 50 degrees. Mm-hmm. They're very specific. Yes. And I think we were a little colder than that at oh. first because it was in the fridge. But it's also like glasses. really hot outside. So like. Oh no, that's yeah. good. It's refreshing. But I think now. Now we're getting the truer taste. Now I think we're hitting 45 degrees on these babies. Well, it's going to go up from there. <laughs> I'll tell you, that smell, that smell we're though, in a heat is, wave. Uh, is so almost saisani, it's crazy. It is, yeah. I actually liked that sip after giving it some time to settle. Not that I didn't like the other sips, but I liked that. I actually liked the saisani note because okay. it kind of had this okay. up, down, up kind of. Come to the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> I'd. I, I told you we should do an episode where we got like five saisons and I just had to see, can I find one that's good for that's me? That's good. Yeah. <clears throat> huh? I'll take that challenge. I still think that would be a good episode because it'd be funny watching me suffer at most. <laughs> uh, but 
it almost had like a like if I had to visualize the taste because mm -hmm. I know this is a this is a very like we could record these on video if we had a set and it would be sexy because you could see the beers and everything. And yeah, if we had we like a good, light box but, and like a rotating kind of stage thing for it. But even then, it would still be an audio visual podcast. Yeah. And it's tough to describe taste on that kind of a, a thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same with a lot of food shows. Oh, yeah. I think the best. So I, I think visualizing the taste is the best thing. So I'm going to try that right now. Okay. Because it's the only way I think I can describe what I just tasted, even to you. Let me just take another sip. I'm very interested in what you're. So what I'm tasting with this with this noble hop taste, I guess the Cezanne farmhouse kind of taste is a note that starts up high. I want to close my sharp. eyes and visualize it. Cezanne going down. Mm -hmm. Comes back up and gets a little sharp again. So it starts off like this metallic -y sharpness that you get with like a, a beer or a Pilsner. Okay. Like when you just like, it's just that weedy metallic-iness. Bam. <laughs> then you get that malty Cezanne notes that come through. Actually, I would say the Cezanne notes come through I and then you say. get that maltiness come back up into that sharpness. So it's almost like that you. So you start with a metallic-iness from the wheat. You go down into Cezanne territory. You come up with the malts mm -hmm. and you end there. So Oddly enough. It's a you taste. It makes sense. <laughs> it's it's rough to try to describe, but that's the evolution I'm getting on my tongue. Whereas before... There was no evolution. It was just like, boom, Cezanne gone. And I think it was a little just we had it a little too cold right there. Yeah. Uh, but now where it's we're at probably about 47 degrees in the glass right now. Mm -hmm. and I think until I just burped, I got some of that. Cezanne Ew. But yeah, I think that I'm going to cut that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that the Cezanne definitely does add something to this. Yeah. And I can't say that I'm necessarily the biggest fan of that. But it is very interesting and it's different than any of the other Kolsch styles I've had. But is it closer to a true Kolsch? I, I can't tell you because apparently I've never really had a Kolsch. Exactly. That I can remember. And I probably didn't. Because when I go for German beers, I go for really weird German beers. Yeah. Or I go for the, uh, the Doppelbox. Mm -hmm. It just says Hans for some reason, man. I just don't know. <laughs> just not about it. Like Oktoberfest beers, I freaking love them. Double box, Pilsners, Ales, just Saisons. <laughs> but Phil would be disappointed in I you. I was thinking the same thing. I wrote the book on farmhouse sales in America. Literally. But I will say, if you like that kind of Saison note, and even though I'm not a huge fan, this is great for the summertime. Yes, absolutely. And because it's kind of German style, it's great going into the dog days of summer, mm -hmm. into that late August, early September, that Oktoberfest style kind mm -hmm. of going on. Because you do, it is a very Germany kind of beer because of that Saison note. So you're still sticking with, if you just gave this to me at a blind taste test, would I be able to say it was a Kolsch based on what I've had or Kolsch style? I don't think even I don't I think would, I would. No. But I would immediately go, I think this is, if you said, where is this beer from or, or what style beer is this? I would say it's some kind of, I would say it was a German style beer. Yeah. Right, right away. Because I think of that Saison-y note. Mm -hmm. If you told me it was a Kolsch style, I'd say, okay. <laughs> but I wouldn't really cool story, bro. Couldn't really guess that based on what I've had. But again, like you said, they're only just popping up. So I've in the last maybe last what two years, maybe three years. I mean, I, I've had a Kolsch from a long yeah, time you, ago before yeah. that, but just recently they've been popping up, and I've had a little bit more. You know, I would say half a dozen, maybe six Kolsches now, Kolsch styles. Mm -hmm. So I don't. I wouldn't call me a Kolsch spurt. 
but I wouldn't be able uh, to guess this was a Kolsch. <laughs> but if you told me it was, I'd say sure, because I drank six of them. Well, what do I know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious what you think of that Saison note, though, because you do love Saisons. No, I thoroughly enjoy this beer. I find it extremely refreshing. I'm trying very hard not to gulp it down. Well, also, as much as we've talked about me not really liking Saison, I have gulped this down. It's true, but you were also <laughs> taste testing it. That is true. More. I was trying to get You were some trying notes. to distinguish the flavors. I'm just enjoying it. <laughs> so now while you enjoy it, I will go over the can. So the can's very simple. It is a tall boy can with a wraparound label. The the general like color of the label kind of matches the beer. Kind of. Which I didn't bit. notice yeah. before. Wonder what that's what they were going for. So it's got a white band around the top and bottom. And wherever there is a grid to put information. But most of the bottle is this amber color with wheat imprints, lighter amber colored wheat imprints on it. And it just says Millhouse Brewing in the top border. And then in between the logo just says cold one in inconspicuous font. Uh, and the O in cold has the, uh, what do you call the two dots? It's not an umlaut, is it? It's not. I don't think that's what an umlaut is. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, to be completely well, honest. Maybe that is an umlaut. It's got the two dots above the O. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that letter. Uh, then it says German Kolsch style ale. So it does hammer home the fact that it's a style, Kolsch style, not Kolsch. 4.6 alcohol by volume IBU 19, serve temp, which not a lot of the beers have what you no, should serve it at. That's also true. Which is also cool because like we learned as it got warmer, it changed. And we've it had changes. a lot of other beer. That as absolutely well that. changes when the as it, as we've been doing yeah. our tasting notes. Oh, now I get this. Now I get that mm -hmm. because the drink evolves as it's in the glass, or evolves as it changes temperature and stuff like that. And that goes for any kind of, uh, I would say, not just beer, but beer, wine, mm -hmm. certain like bourbons and whiskeys. Oh yeah, rums, and mixed drinks. You just sometimes you have to give them time to evolve. So the fact that this tells you when the tastes kind of are supposed to be at their best is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. This is Millhouse Brewing, Poughkeepsie, New York. More info, visit www.millhousebrewing.com on the side. Then you get your government warning. Right underneath Coal Style Ale, they actually print the date this was bottled like right there, which is interesting because oh, most cool. people will print it on the bottom on the, where it's the, kind yeah. of like, you can't really bottom. see it. But like you said, with Millhouse Brewing, they sell through all their barrels. They've never dumped one. Yeah. So I'm sure they're just like, you're going to buy it. We get rid of our product. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the side, it says this Kolsch style ale is not your dad's lawnmower beer. <laughs> crack one open when you're done with your chores. You deserve it. Hey, they said crack one open. Hey. We're cracking one open. Uh, then it just tells Sponsor you the hops, Tetanang, Holler <laughs> Tower, Maltz, German Pilsner, Vienna. The art and science of beer is on the bottom. And it's also got, which I think is kind of cool. The IBU and the logo. I wonder if they do this with all their beers. It mm -hmm. almost looks like a periodic table of elements. Yeah. In the corner. Just the square and the and K. And then the K lowercase O. Yep. 4.6 up top. I like that. That's really cool. So yeah, inconspicuous can, but very good beer. I know I've had more from yeah. Millhouse. And I will say. I just can't tell you what I had. Yeah. <laughs> um, while I was researching this, um, it seems like they have changed the style of their labels. So what we have just recently? as the, fairly, yeah. This is May. Okay. Late May. <laughs> well, they they've made cold one for a few years. Remember, they they won well, an award is, for it back in 2016. Oh, yeah, but I'm saying this is late May this year. Oh, when this is canned. Yeah, so I don't know how <laughs> how recently 
they changed their labels, but it may have looked different at one point in time. Gotcha. So if you're looking for it, oh, you're saying this is the newer label. Yes. Oh, I thought you were saying they've changed labels. So what oh, I've no, described no. is the one people can look I'm out saying for. The, the, yeah, the ones that I was looking at online were an older label. Gotcha. So obviously, as we say time and time again, we're based in Southern Connecticut. So, but Poughkeepsie, New York is more upstate Connecticut. Right? Mm, kind of middle of the road Connecticut. Poughkeepsie or road, is... New York, rather. I feel like that's, yeah, upper. Upper? Yeah. I feel like it's drivable, though. It'd be a... It'd be a day trip for sure. Yeah, definitely just a day trip. Not like a two day trip, like some place in New York. But like I said, so we're in Southern Connecticut. We're getting it. I don't know how far their reach is. Did you figure that out? No. But if you're in the Northeast, I would assume it's safe to assume that you could probably get it. Mm -hmm. Pick up Millhouse. I know I've had other things from them. They're pretty good. They have a couple of beers that are called Panda. Yes, there's <laughs> Vel Panda Velvet the Panda is the American stout. And then they have a Pandemonium is one of their was. seasonal. Yeah. So. If you see stuff based on pandas, you might end up with a millhouse. <laughs> so definitely pick them up. They're really good. This Kolsch is very interesting. I know I don't like Cezanne notes, but he did almost down this entire thing so yep. quick because it is so crisp and easy drinking. It was really, really good. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, we still have two more. And I'm very interested to see what else there is in terms of Kolsch style now. Who knows what they can do with it? Who knows? The nose knows. You shut up now. I'm sorry. <laughs> you should be. Damn. That was Damn, uncalled for. I know. I know. <laughs> you have any final words about this beer? Nah, it's good. Drink it. Drink the beer. Prost. <laughs> <laughs> so, you want to go first with, with your news or you want me to go first with my news? I'm very curious because you did some last minute updates to your notes about your news thing. <laughs> so, like, I've. Don't, don't get that excited. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to talk about. So let's have you go first. Plus, <sighs> I've talked a lot about the tasting notes. So. That's true. Well, I, I'm pretty sure you know what I'm going to talk about because this news did come out a few days ago, but it was after we recorded the last episode. So I'm going to count it as new news. <laughs> <laughs> so Comedy Central announced that the network has given a series order to the reimagining of the Ren and Stimpy show. So I guess what reimagining, quote unquote, means uh, is that while the original five seasons aired on Nickelodeon as part of their kids lineup, this upcoming season will be fully targeted toward adults. Well, they did that for one season when they revived them back on In TBS. 2003. Um, that show was fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get to it. So Ren and Stimpy originally aired, as I mentioned, on Nickelodeon starting back in 1991 but moved briefly to MTV before going off the air in 1996, which I don't remember that move, but I don't, I didn't know that either. So, uh, yeah, there was also, as you mentioned, uh, Ren and Stimpy adult party cartoon, and that aired in 2003 for an eight episode run. And earlier this year, comedy central also pre-ordered two seasons of a Beavis and Butthead reboot from the original series creator Mike Judge, as well as a Daria spinoff called Jody. Clone High is also reportedly getting a reboot with its original creators, but it has not been announced what network that one would be on yet. It was originally on MTV, which I believe is part of the Comedy Central umbrella. I was going to say, does MB NBC or MTV. Comedy Central and oh, you know what? I think Comedy Central might be owned by Viacom. Okay. Because CBS All Access got a couple of, uh, like the Chappelle show and stuff like that, got a couple of shows from Comedy Central now on their uh, program. Oh, okay. All right. 
So I wonder if MTV is as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. But I'm, I mean, MTV hasn't had a, a show worth watching in I don't even know how long. So it's prob- Come probably probably for the better. MTV has never had a show worth watching. Boom! <laughs> Trash TRL, television. Man. I mean, yeah, by and large, absolutely. Trash. Garbage, 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 garbage. But that's about know. it. <laughs> that's cool that Ben and Stumpy's coming back. Yeah. As long as it's not I remember that 2003 show being like overly obscene. Like yeah, uh, just like let's like, push the like limit just we for can. the yeah, just Exactly, just because we can kind of thing. I mean, the Nickelodeon show was already pretty messed up enough. Like, it was just at the right level. Yeah, like, it was like, oh, this is a kid show? Okay. (laughs) Which is why I'm sure that I so thoroughly enjoyed watching it with my dad, because it was humor that he appreciated, and I thought it was funny, even though I didn't fully get it at the time. No, not like half the jokes. Yeah. (laughs) But we were watching it, what, a couple years ago we were watching it when it went to streaming somewhere, and we were laughing at it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it still a, holds up. That's a damn good show. <laughs> Hopefully they don't do what they did in 2003. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm excited for that. So yeah, that's my news. Mm-hmm. What'd you got? <laughs> so it was announced today that the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is going to be returning again in a <laughs> reboot. What? It's going to be rebooted, according to the Hollywood Reporter, with a darker and more dramatic tone. So this series is Why? being developed by Morgan Cooper. Who, if you didn't know, in March of last year, released the Bel Air trailer. So it was an unlicensed fake trailer for a Fresh Prince reboot. It was done almost like a Fresh Prince CW drama show. So it took the concept of Will being from, you know, Philly, getting in trouble, uh-huh. being sent to live with his aunt and uncle in Bel Air. His uncle's a lawyer. Will goes to high school. You know, he finds he's really good at basketball in the school and finds a way to kind of fit in where he wasn't fitting in, kind of getting bullied for being the poor kid. Uh-huh. And, you know, Carlton's kind of a douche and he's got the socialite sister who's all about Instagram and stuff like that. And he's just trying to try to make it in this really kind of close knit, richy, rich kind of world. So in a way, it really does work as a drama. And if you haven't seen it's on YouTube. I think I showed it last, showed you it last year. You might not remember. I don't. I don't think it's something that would hold my interest for too long because it does look very dra- soap opera-y. Mm-hmm. But it was a really, really well done trailer. And I actually got the attention of Will Smith. And after I'd seen that trailer and been really impressed by it, like the next week, Will Smith got the guy, invited him down to Miami, and they talked about the trailer and stuff like that and where <laughs> he saw the thing going. So you kind of got the feel that Will Smith was very interested. And Will Smith is indeed helping to produce this project. Oh, that's cool. Uh, through his Westbrook Studios. So it's and pretty Universal legit. TV. Oh, no, it's it's going to happen. Yeah, it's legit. Yeah. Uh, like Will Smith was impressed and it was impressive. Now, Cooper is going to co-write and direct the pilot and serve as a co-executive producer. But I don't know what he's done before in terms of his credits so they'll probably have someone else big time kind of doing stuff like chris collins has come in as a showrunner and executive producer and he's co-writing the first script with cooper who presumably doesn't have much experience in the television world but obviously Mm -hmm. someone who wrote the wire definitely does yeah um and obviously will smith is going to be a producer original series creators andy and susan borowitz quincy jones Benny Medina, obviously Will Smith, will also be executive producer. So they've got a lot of the original people from behind the scenes producing this that produced the old show. Mm-hmm. So my guess is that trailer really used a lot of goodwill 
No cast members have been announced. Unclear if anybody from the original Fresh Prince of Bel-Air will return or if anyone from the original fake trailer will go onto the show. Oh, uh, okay. But the guy who made that fake trailer is going to be making the show. So if you haven't seen it yet, check it out. It's on YouTube. The show, which right now is just ca- called Bel-Air, hasn't found a home yet. <laughs> Peacock, Netflix, and HBO Max are people bidding potentially on the series. But more than likely, you won't see any kind of word on where it's going to air until they finish the pilot and these potential suitors will see what they're buying into. Which makes sense. Yeah. Unless Netflix just buys it because they've got a bajillion dollars and they spend money recklessly. (laughs) But it is a universal TV uh, production, so my money's on HBO Max. We shall see. HBO Max or just NBC, like the actual show and not a streaming show. What network did it originally air on? Not that that would necessarily have any bearing on where it goes now, but... That'd be interesting. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air before it became syndicated and was seen everywhere where mm-hmm. people our age probably watched it because late night TV like that was for whatever our parents wanted to watch, uh, was originally seen on NBC. Okay. Which yeah, is so a peacock. universal peacock, which is a universal entity now. Yeah. So my guess is we'll see it on Universal or we'll see it on NBC itself. Yeah. Unless somebody bids way too high and Universal's like, run with it, man. We'll take that cash. <laughs> but I'll definitely check out the first couple episodes. It just oh, yeah. seems a little too soap opera-y for me, but it definitely fits a niche. And the world of Fresh Prince definitely fits within that mm-hmm. concept. Yeah, I never thought about it like that. That It's like when they take like Mrs. Doubtfire and make a horror trailer out of it kind of thing. Yeah, kind of. That's how it began was like, hey, let's take yeah. this story and make it a, a serious thing. But mm-hmm. they didn't use clips of the old Fresh Prince. They used new actors and yeah. new things. But I've seen that there was a someone put on YouTube. It was actually pretty well done. A trailer for Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. Done like a CW show. I don't know if you I saw that. I think I saw that, yeah. yeah. That was really well done that as was well. Good, so, yeah. You know, and, and you've got Riverdale, you've got Sabrina, you've got all these things that have kind of twisted. You know, your original one, take. Yeah, your original genre, I guess. Genre mm-hmm. bending versions of things. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I got. Interesting. I'm excited. Yeah, that news is fresh. Is there a... Uh... <laughs> no, there's no release date, no actors, no crew. You're not going to see it for a while with the with everything going on So it's basically just like... COVID. Hey, this is going to happen. Get get excited. They signed it. They're currently writing it. So, All right. yeah. Cool. My guess is you won't see it until 2022. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Well, my last bit of news is that Animaniacs is coming out soon. That's all I got. It's time for Animaniacs. Animaniacs. to the man. Those are the facts. Blah. Thanks, guys, for tuning into this week's episode. <laughs> and if you enjoyed it, please rate it, review it, and share it with your friends and subscribe to catch our future episodes. You can find us on KrakenOneOpen.com or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at KrakenOneOpen or just shoot us an email at crackin'oneopen at gmail.com with any comments, questions, or suggestions because we want to hear from you. Especially if you're a brewery who wants to do interviews or stuff. You know, we really want to work with you guys. You just let Please? us know. <laughs> a lot of fun that one time. Yeah, we did. <laughs> anyway. You got any plugs? <laughs> oh, do I got plugs? If you like the sound of my voice, you can hear me 
every Wednesday on Forgotten Cinema, a podcast about forgotten films that for some reason seem to be forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular film was released at the same time or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we like about it, what we don't like about it, and whether the movie deserves a second chance. But we always recommend you revisit it. You never know when you could find your own hidden gem. Mm -hmm. And catch us every Thursday on social media at Forgotten Cinema Pod, where we put out a cool commercial, funny commercial for our episodes. (laughs) But yeah, check it out, Forgotten Cinema. And then I've also got Two Player Bros, a podcast I do with my buddy Dave, where we're just two guys who play way too many video games. Join us every other week where we talk about news, previews, and short reviews from our favorite games on all systems, PlayStation, Xbox, PC, VR, Nintendo Switch. We have them all. We cover them all. And then join us every other week where we do our post game presented by Two Player Bros, where we do a deep dive into either the newest game that's out, the biggest newest game that's out, or a classic game that we reveal things maybe you didn't know about, or we just discuss what we love about it and we wanted to talk about. Two Player Bros can be found at twoplayerbros.com, on social media is at Two Player Bros, or wherever you, get, and wherever you get your podcasts. And both Forgotten Cinema, Two Player Bros, and even this, Crack One Open, are all part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Aww. That's what I got. And a special thanks for our theme, which was composed and performed by Joe Reichert. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers. Salute. I don't know what the Germans say. Prost. Prost. Now we should say that for our Oktoberfest episode.